This is Mission.org. This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. One of the things that I wake up every morning excited for is to read customer feedback, especially when we get ones like, hey, I'm disabled. This sort of journey on Simple Health has allowed me to have four or five pain points dissolved because I don't have to leave my couch. As an able-bodied person, you don't think about having to go to the doctor, come back home, go to the pharmacy, come back home. If it doesn't work properly or you have bad side effects, going back to the doctor and coming back home. With Simple Health, you can do all of that online. How can digital reproductive healthcare augment traditional approaches to care? Our guest today, Carrie Subut, CEO of Simple Health, is dedicated to making healthcare more simple and inclusive. Her team is working to make reproductive healthcare more accessible digitally and to use data effectively to offer more dynamic care. Listen in to learn more about how Carrie's personal health journey has influenced her career path. Carrie, welcome to the show. Albert, thank you for having me. I can already tell this is going to be a good one. So let's, <laughs> why don't we just jump into it? Yeah, let's dive right in. You know, right out the gate, we asked this of all of our guests, Simple Health. Tell us what is the company and what does it do? So Simple Health is, I would say, started off five, six years ago called Simple Contacts. Three years ago, we pivoted to Simple Health. We started off doing a product market fit with birth control. The company grew 900% over the last two years. Obviously, we know why. Um, but that momentum in telehealth is only going to take us to the next level. So last fall, I met um, with the CEO of a company called Emmy, and we closed the acquisition in February. And what Emmy is going to do is basically give us a whole, I would say, cohort of data points for female health that we can truly be a femtech company, not a D2C company, not like but a very data-driven company where we're going to start basically having proactive care versus reactive care for women's health. Yeah. And I want to make that clear distinction because you you have a very, I don't want to marginalize and say it's simple, but it's a very clear value proposition. Can you tell us really quickly, what is the core focus of Simple Health? The core focus is what you said, Albert, to make healthcare simple, right? Yeah. It's very... Um, bureaucratic nowadays, you know, you would think in 2022, it will only get easier. But to be honest, it's gotten harder. Mm-hmm. It takes forever to get an appointment. Insurance companies are very, you know, particular who you can go see referrals and all that. So what we really are trying to do is to take the lower um, things that you actually don't need to go and get physical care for and bring it online. Not to say we're going to replace, you know, going and get your pap smear and mammogram. But what we want to do is collect the data to augment some of these physical health appointments when you go see your doctor. Gotcha. And so this is telemedicine is on the rise. We've had a couple different guests that represent different companies that are in this space. But it sounds like Simple Health, will you stay? It's like you're very focused. You're going to be working on uh, female health issues specifically. Well, Albert, there's no shortage of uh, women's health here. The TAM is specifically huge. The market is $275 billion, not billion with a B. Yep. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of stuff we can do, starting from fertility preparedness. You know, 27-year-olds often think, like, what do I need to do to sort of have a good fertility journey? Uh, we just launched uh, perimenopause assessments. The interesting part of 
of that was that people who are 35 years old are starting to think about perimenopause. I don't expect you, Albert, to know all the intricacies of that, but you know, that's interesting because think of like, you know, our parents, our parents back in the day associate menopause with being 60 years old. Menopause often starts as early as 40 or, or even in late 30s. So I would say as generations change and habits change, obviously hormones are changing. So what we're really trying to do here at Simple Health is get you when you're in your sexual wellness phase, collect all that data. So, you know, through time, you can be like, hey, can't use you as an example, Alfred, but yeah, like, yeah. hey, Carrie, so it looks like you missed your, your period for six months. Come back into our flow. You may be perimenopausal or there could be something that's that's really. So at Simple Health, we're trying to take the entire flywheel from consultation to doctor's appointments to prescriptions, because we also deliver prescriptions, as well as feeding you what I would say wellness items such as, you know, supplements today. But tomorrow we're actually going to roll out more products on our website. Yeah. And telemedicine is pretty interesting in regards to that. Like we saw recently, you know, I think it was certain companies, their stock price fell because people are now returning to the doctor's office. I personally, you know, like you said, I don't know all the issues, but I am married to a woman. And I, 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 the first time I heard the amount of, uh, I guess like medical, just checkups, checkups that she had to go through. I was like, I was very surprised because men notoriously don't like, we don't go, we don't need any, like, <laughs> we probably should, but we don't tend to go to the doctors, but she was going to regular medical visits. But one of the things that's always been a challenge with telehealth is that there's a level of intimacy or feeling open or exposed or, you know, whatever the fear is, there's some fear that people like to have in privacy, right? So like, I would say for men, it would probably be like urology, like most men probably don't feel comfortable. They don't feel comfortable to go into urologist to begin with. They don't want to certainly do it over a camera. I'm sure women feel the same, similar things. How did you begin or how did the company start beginning to like lower that fear to make it more acceptable? Uh, was it a natural desire from your, your customer base that they wanted this option? Or did you guys have to engineer solutions to say, hey, we're going to take care of your privacy. We're going to make this intimate. We're going to make this all about you. How did you guys approach that, you know, that bridge? So Albert, I want to be clear, I wasn't the founder, but the founding team did think about these things. And yeah. so, but what I would say is, and I'm going to just digress a little bit here, is because of my own personal health journey, I really am focused on keeping it very intimate, keeping it very one-on-one as much as we can. So, you know, just a little bit about me. I'm half Black, half Chinese. I grew up in the Caribbean. At age 11, I was diagnosed with a disease called dystonia, movement disorders, very similar to Parkinson's. I've lived through the healthcare system. You yeah. know, I've lived through being called, you you know, you're making this up, you're not right. You know, discrimination is very real and in and, and the healthcare system, how you show up, how you, you know, what types of purses and jewelry you have. And so one of the things that I wake up every morning excited for is to read customer feedback, especially when we get ones like, hey, I'm disabled. This sort of journey on Simple Health has allowed me to have four or five pain points be, you know, dissolved because I don't have to leave my couch, right? Think Mm. about, like, you don't think about as an able-bodied person, you don't think about having to go to the doctor, come back home, go to the pharmacy, come back home. If it doesn't work properly or you have bad side effects, going back to the doctor and coming back home. With Simple Health, you can do all of that online. So one of the reasons why we are sort of evolving in different life stages right now is because, you know, the world doesn't stop just at birth control. There are other things you can do from a telemedicine perspective, which you see other companies doing right now. I would say 
the thesis I have at Simple Health here and my team has is that like the telemedicine women's health space is very crowded. We're all not going to win, right? Like I'm, right. I'm, I'm pretty old. I've started off my career in investment banking. I've seen, you know, industries consolidate. And I think I was, you know, Nurex got bought by 30 Madison. We bought Emmy. So we're starting to see that consolidation happen right now. And that I think is really like where Simple Health is poised to sort of own a lot of the whole life cycle of a woman from call it 13 to 85. Now, when you first sat down in the seat of CEO, you mentioned before that you weren't the actual founders of the company, but you are the current CEO. When you arrived at the company, what were some of the things that you immediately saw as opportunities? Like, hey, we should improve in these arenas. These are things we're going to focus on. And what are some of the things you thought that you should stop? Because a lot of CEOs, they kind of have those two, they have those two you know, things they're going to start doing and things they're going to kind of stop doing and usually leads the company down a path. Give us an idea of what you saw where you're like, hey, we need to start focusing more here and maybe pull away from here. I don't think I had the luxury of those two things you talked about because I started on February 24th, 2020. So I think the first thing I did, no joke, the first thing I did was I, I called shelter in place, I want to say March 4th. I mean, regardless of what our government was thinking, you know, when you watch news coming out of Asia and how fast this thing was multiplying, yeah. it was a matter of days, not months before I came here, right? And so we had that happening. I had to make a lot of what I would say business decisions really very fast. I cut my salary. We had a lease. We had a lease that was up for negotiation. I was like, screw it. We can always get a lease no matter what. But Deep down in my gut, having lived through 9-11, you know, crash of 2008, I knew that this thing wasn't going to be two weeks. I didn't think it was yeah. going to be two and a half years, but I definitely yeah. knew it was going to be two weeks, right? So I would say things I had to do in, as a first time CEO in the midst of a pandemic, number one is we really had to throttle because we saw so much pent up demand because people weren't allowed to leave the house right. that we had to figure out how to like, you know, provide great customer support. So that was number one. Number two is I really had to take care of my employees, right? Like, again, we were just, no, no one knows what a pandemic's like. I didn't know either, but the first thing I knew is that, you know, mental health is going to be a serious problem. So from mm. day one, we talked about taking mental health days and taking care of yourselves and taking care of your families, right? The third thing was the company was always set up to be remote. Fortunately, so we never miss a day of productivity. And lastly, I would say is, you know, when to your point, when CEO changes, there is some financial stuff I had to clean up. So in the get go, balancing all those three, throw that, you know, a social justice movement into that. So I had my hands really full in the first year. But, you know, I ha always have a saying that, you know, the universe gives you what you can handle. And, you know, that year we I started off when the company 2019 was 4 million. We took it to 38 million, right? That first year. So um, I would say it's a matter of really being intentional, having a day to make your right decisions and making the decision and live by the sword or, or, or die by the sword. The one thing I think I've learned most importantly is 99%. My gut's usually right. And every call I made in those times of like crisis or pandemic or, or cutbacks um, really made all the difference in the company. So Really proud to say we we were one of the first, I would say, telehealth providers that really leaned into it and um, really got so many, I would say, praises from our, our patients of how we were there to help them. I mean, people were losing jobs. We were offering one free month of, of birth control. That's how you really build um, brand loyalty, right? Through customer service, meeting patients in their time of need. It was never, if I knew 
I should never say this stuff on podcasts, but if I knew what I knew now about the venture capital market, if I had grown 100%, it would have been great anyway. But, you know, overachiever carry had to grow by like 500%. But needless to say, it was never about the growth. It was all about just getting our patients where they need to be met. Yeah. The thing I, when I was pulling from your, what you just said, your story was, the first thing I thought, kept thinking to myself was like, first of all, you're like the prime use case, or this story is exactly the use case or um, case study of Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, right? Like your intuition's probably a lot stronger than you think. And like you said, when this was happening, there was no, there was no case study book. You could look back to like your Stanford MBA, like all oh, these companies did this when this happened, there was no, there was no case study, right? So you were the case study, you're going to live it, right? So yeah, that was awesome. The next thing I heard was the inbound of support, right? And it makes total sense. You have a platform, you're a technology company, you're a bridge between uh, patients and providers. So if all of a sudden they can't, patients can't go see their providers, there's going to be influx of demand for what your system, right? So then I heard the next thing, which you said was the fast growth. So there was obviously a way to throughput this much demand, which probably meant some product changes. Talk about how the product and your company had to evolve because you had a system here and it had it could serve this many customers. And very quickly you found that there were way more customers than you had traditionally serviced, right? So usually the product needs to evolve too, or the service needs to evolve, or the operation of course has to evolve. Give us an idea of what are the th- some of the things you did to say, okay, we can handle this demand now. I think it's how about you think we're working smarter, right? So you look at to your point, and if you read the goal, but you look at where does the Herbie occur, right? And that that throughput, that cog was just more, I would say, on on two things. Number one, our customer support team being able to process the the prescriptions very fast. And the second thing, which is out of my control, was USPS, right? Again, like the essential workers and stuff like that. So that one was out of my control. In terms of the products, we have a backend system. So our, our tech and product teams were continuously trying to put more automation through that so we can have fewer friction points. And we're still working on that today, right? Like I would say I'm in the middle of starting to raise capital because I like a challenge. So I chose, you know, a very good, awesome time to go raise capital. But, you know, the reality is, is that we have something really great. We are starting to see the foundation of a moat, which, you know, is again, always a big thing. And we feel strongly that we've got now the brand recognition. We've got the data infrastructure. I just hired a CTO who's really going to start thinking about like, how do we build on the cloud, multiple clouds to, to be honest. And so really using forward thinking technology to back into what we're building today. That's probably the most I know about the cloud. I thought they, they sit above me, but, you know, all kidding aside, that that's really where technology is going, right? The big three companies, Azure, um, AWS, and, and Oracle, they're starting to see the value of healthcare. And so they're starting to build their own clouds as well. And what we've realized as, as a forward-thinking tech company, when you start putting your business alongside those bigger companies, as they iterate, they're going to pass um, enhancements out, right? Not to say there's smaller companies that we can get with an EHR, we're really thinking big. The idea here is that, you know, we don't want to keep on building, building, building. We have a little bit of a buy strategy here. But if we're going to buy, we're going to buy with one of the bigger people to to create a stronger tech platform. Yeah, that makes sense. We've had a couple different, uh, like I mentioned before, telehealth medical companies come on our show. And they all talk about how when it's when you're bridging these systems, right? So it's like you're 
And, and I'm curious regarding like the simple health strategy. So a lot of companies are trying to say, hey, we have all these patients. We want to connect them to providers and we're going to try to sign up providers. We're going to sign up patients. In a sense, they're almost like a marketplace, but they have to create a lot of very secure rails because of HIPAA compliance. And there's other rules and regulations to make sure that the information transferred from patient to provider is very, very secure, right? Uh, so that's that's one, one thing that you, we see a lot of companies doing. But the companies that are doing this all talk about the antiquated systems of providers and how challenging it is. Are you seeing that yourselves? Are you saying like, are you finding that it, there's uh, there's friction points sometimes beyond your control? Or if you guys start start investing in, like you said, those more automations and you're just really focusing on engineering to like connect these systems that, because if I'm a provider and I want to be a part of the simple health system, I'm assuming I have to have a system that's compatible at some point. Um, mm-hmm. How are you guys attacking this problem? Is this disparate, fragmented, and regulated data information system that is our healthcare system? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say we don't necessarily have a friction point with physicians right now because we're asynchronous. Mm-hmm. As we grow out, as we develop and, and bring on sync capabilities, I, I imagine we will have that friction. The friction I think that most people don't talk about, but as you can tell, I like to always, you know, buck the trend. It's a state by state regulated telehealth laws, right? So Mm. that to me is really the friction point, not really the physicians, but it's really tough when you have, you know, call it, I'm making a number of, call it like 50 states who really want to, they're antiquated in their thinking, you know, they think, you know, you need to have see someone to, to get a good video, you know, to get a good prescription. Meanwhile, the outcome's the same synchronous or asynchronous for something like birth control. I think um, the friction point there is going to be that we're going to have almost two different healthcare systems, really? depending on what state you're in, either like a very tech forward healthcare system or a tech backward healthcare system, right? So what COVID did, I believe, is it, it just really put telehealth in the forefront. I have to be honest, I'm 47 years old. I still like to sometimes go see a doctor face-to-face. But people who are 22, 23 years old who just grew up in this think that healthcare is teledoc, then they can go on the screen. So the adoption rates are going to be much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the really the hard part is going to be the regulations catching up. And I would say the payers really changing their rules and, and really understanding what digital health really means, right? So... Physicians are going to be physicians. Yes, it is a friction point sometimes. But um, to me, you can always find someone that's a, I think that's a money problem. I think the one that's really hard to solve um, that, you know, again, like would eventually love to help get some of my folks build a lobbying team in D.C. is really how do you get a nationally regulated rule around telehealth? I never really thought about that, but it makes total sense. The fact that those laws and regulations will make your product potentially different in each state. That's why we're only in 32 states, right? Like if it was up to us, we'd be in all 50. But in the remainder of the 18, you have to have, I have to watch like, how are you watching me, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. again, um, the, the laws and the state regulations just haven't caught up to 2022. Needless to say, Albert, I think a lot of stuff in 2022 has got me surprised at some of the stuff going on in the world right now. So, you know, I I want to be forward thinking, hopeful that the world will change. But, um, you know, you never know these days. Yeah, uh, I think everyone would agree that there's always there's always a law being passed somewhere that you just it just feels like it's coming from left field. Like I don't know what's going on here. You know. What I mean? <laughs> 
for yourself, when you think about the growth of the company, you know, you, you, you mentioned before that you're at a really great place. The company is scaling. You are handling asynchronous health issues. You've now acquired Emmy, which you think is going to give you more data points on understanding uh, female health. That's going to allow you to make better judgments, better prescriptions, better health outcomes. You personally, you kind of hinted at it. You've always been about health. Give us an idea of how you're envisioning this future. Cause I want to hear like what you think, like if, the, if your roadmap plays out, what kind of world are we walking into? We're walk- I like that question. I've never had that one before. Um, we're walking into a world, I would say, is very much Jetson-like, right? Where you are going to be able to have telehealth companies talk to traditional brick and mortar called hospitals, healthcare systems, where you're going to be able to get daily data points of what's happening, right? So with the ME technology, what happens now is because you have to open your case or you get a notification to open the case, you go on and it asks you to track your mood, your appetite, um, your flow, migraines or non-migraines, right? As we think about the roadmap and evolve, we want to add, you know, can we do an integration with Aura? So then, then we have the sleep in there. And so mm. as we think big, I mean, think Alexa for healthcare. I mean, if we're going to dream, we're going to dream big, right? That's really where we're going. And no one's done this yet for, for women's health. No one, I think people have tried, but um, I do believe I have the right team. I, I thought what you were going to ask me is how do I, how do I stay sane with all this growth? Because what I was going to say to that question is, um, and what they didn't teach me in Stanford is a hiring is the biggest thing when you hit it right. And when you hit it wrong, it's the biggest headache, right? So, um, and, I've ha- and I've made those mistakes, right? These are things that people don't talk about. Like we can talk about all the great stuff, but Albert, I think they really, where I tend to sit on these podcasts is, is try and inspire people, but also know that the path, and I hate to say it, some people like, Carrie, the path is lonely. The path is lonely. You can make, get people to help you, I think, what people don't tell you is the hiring piece of it, which yep. also leads to the firing piece of it, yep. which also leads to um, how fast you can throttle, right? So your people really are, you can, as CEO, you can have the biggest vision ever, but if you don't have people to execute on it, the vision's nothing, right? So I would say for me, that was the biggest surprise I had when I took over is because I tend to move fast. Yeah. My entire team is like, Carrie, you got to slow down. I'm like, or you can keep up, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or we can be in the middle, right? And I always say it's 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 a marathon, so we can pace ourselves, but we don't have to pace ourselves at 50 minutes. We can pace ourselves at eight minutes. So it's a constant struggle, Albert, but I also tell them, you don't have to be on Slack six hours a day. You can shut down, get quiet time. We all now have so much distraction, albeit electronically, but I do think, getting the right people on the bus is really what makes a successful company. Yeah. Especially when you're breaking ground in something that maybe doesn't exist. Um, how do you hire for something that doesn't exist? Uh, we've heard it time and time again from different leaders. They look for just insatiable curiosity, uh, probably a, a desire to constantly build and try things. If you look, they always talk about how if you have someone who um, you know just wants a big paycheck and they want to do a job, that's probably not going to help you innovate because they're not going to be feel comfortable making things that don't work and then fixing it constantly, which is what it takes to innovate mm-hmm. for yourself. What kind of characteristics do you look for in people to say like, Hey, these are the people that are going to help move simple health in the right direction. So when I interview my senior leadership team, I try and count three things that they're going to tell me that I had no idea about, right? Like 
Because if they're telling me everything I know, that's a waste of use of capital because I already know it, <laughs> right? Like I'm hiring for my deficits. Yeah. And so um, I'll talk about like the CTO I just hired, for example. She did a case study, like, you know, she had multiple rounds. She met the team. She had a case study. But then we met in person. And this is going to come down to be truly trite and simplistic. But when you meet someone in person and we had a meal and, you know, you talk about ideas and values, and I don't think people talk about values enough. That's when I realized I can feel comfortable with this person building the tech platform because she hears what I'm saying. She understands a vision and she has a background that she can execute. And she's also talking to me about stuff. I have no idea what she's talking about, but it sounds really great. And so um, I look for for thought partners. I mean, I look in senior leaders, you know, at, at this level, if you've, Done what you've done. Your resume looks great. You know, it's, to me, it's it's the small stuff that really I look for, Albert. Um, values, how you talk to waiters, you know, all these little things. Because how you talk to people like that will be how you talk to your employees. It, it's it's through and through. I've, seen, I've tried this time and time again. And so um, I also, you know, again, coming back to that gut, last year I ignored that gut. And every one of those people who I ignored with that gut are no longer with us, right? So... Mm. I'm really focused now on like taking my time, being intentional, asking tough questions. And if I carry that question's down, well, then I, I know my answer and them as a candidate. So those are things that are really important. Last thing that's super duper important to me is um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So how they think about that, how they approach that, how they, it's amazing what, what you learn from people when you talk about this, right? People sometimes shy away from mm. it. People lean in, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to say, yeah, I'll build diverse teams. But the hard thing is how do you have those people belong and feel part of the team? Right. So those are things I think about, um, you know, I'm very proud to say our company is uh, probably, I want to say, I think it's like 60% plus female. We're about like 45% people of color, 45% LGBTQIA+. None of that was like, you know, a strategy. It just was like, those are the best people, but it's also a network effect, right? Yeah. The ironic part is people want to work for a woman of color who's also disabled. They find that very intriguing. They find that a unicorn. Um, I've had people have tell me that since they've come to Simple Health, they've stopped code switching, which I didn't know was a thing. Or What's code switching? Um, as a black person, like trying to assimilate versus just trying to be themselves. Ah. And so I encourage people to bring, truly bring their authentic selves to work. And that's how we've been able, I think, to your point, Albert, and the vision, the mission. When you get people who really believe in their leader and who want to make their leader look better, the engine moves quicker, yeah. right? So I just think it's a whole equation, but stuff like that, I just even know like that's what people are looking for in a company, Right. So yeah, but that being said, though, I am held to a different standard because I am all these interesting factors too, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I have to make decisions for a couple of reasons. Number one, ethically, is that right? I have a fiduciary duty to hold up my my shareholders. And lastly, does that sort of come to my own moral value set? So, you know, it's all every day as a CEO is a new day, a new learning. And, uh, but I, I love the challenge of it. Yeah. Uh, my children are biracial, so I, I've not heard that term code switching, but I know that they get pegged sometimes as one or the other, right? I know that, the, and it's not that big of a deal yet for them because they're just kids. Uh, but, you know, I've had cousins that are biracial too, and they have a different story by the time they're adults. Well, I, I think it's, 
I think it's a cool story. I mean, yeah. it comes with a lot of like, you know, justification. But at the end of the day, that's really how companies build great companies too, right? Like, yeah, the data has shown that like diverse companies who reflect their their, pay, their customer base end up winning because patients want to be, you know, like, and the employees want to keep on with this whole diversity mission. Well, I'll tell you what, the other thing that you mentioned there is great for recruiting that I've found everywhere I've been is that network effect concept, which is, you know, the very first thing is as soon as you find a superstar, you got to ask them, like, who <laughs> who do you know? Because in general, superstars don't work with people that they don't think are on their level. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you, if you love someone, you just got to be like, hey, tell me someone else you would want to bring to this company. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're heavy, heavy in the recruiting side. So that's a that's definitely sounds like a big part of your day. You know, I want to take people, I want to take our audience to understand you a little bit better because I saw that you were part of Equinox, you were part of uh, Row House, which is, a you know, for those who have not done rowing workouts, I'm telling you right now, they suck. I mean, they're painful. <laughs> <laughs> have you always, you know, prior to your career beginning, have you always aligned yourself to health, wellness, and fitness? We saw a couple of different articles that cite you or you've been featured in where you talk about personal health and like working out exercise nutrition is a big part of your life or a philosophy have you always been interested in these subjects or did this not occur till you till you got older no absolutely not i um started off my career in investment banking then i went to you alluded to before that i went to stanford got my mba and then i went to american express and um all the time my disease started to progress. So mm. when I was little and I got sick, again, like when you're little, you're such a badass until you grow up. But when <laughs> I got sick, I couldn't write with my right hand. So I retaught myself to, to write with my left hand. Wow. And then the disease progressed. And by the time I was 30, it was in both legs. And, you know, in business school it was fine because I had a handicap sticker and everyone, your tribe really is who you are. And so my tribe was always like, we want to drive a carry. She's VIP. She gets a special <laughs> permit. But they never made me feel like, you know, anything was wrong. And then um, when I got to New York and, you know, New York is a lot of walking. And one day I woke up and I was like, I need a wheelchair. And so my neurologist was always like, Carrie, you should try this brain surgery. You should try this brain surgery. My sister also has the disease, so it's genetic. Mm. But she'd had it, and she, but she ended up having multiple brain surgeries. So I'm like, no. Can't do that to my parents. It's it's a lot for parents. You know, you said you have two kids. I mean, imagine my parents have two disabled kids. And um, but one day I walked in and I was like, I'm done. Can we schedule the surgery? And he was like, Are you okay? And I was like, Yeah. He was like, Like you want to do it? And I was like, Yeah. Can we do it next week? He's like, Carrie, come on. You can't just schedule brain surgery a week a week in advance. But literally three weeks later, we had it. And part of it, it's called deep brain stimulation. And part of it is you're awake for eight hours. Oh, so yeah. how I got into how I got into health and wellness is you start talking a lot to the nurses, the doctors, they get bored of you talking next thing you know, you're talking to God. So I said, I said to God, I said to the universe, I said, let me be clear here with you. There's two things I want to do out of this. I want to run a 10K and I will dedicate myself to health and wellness. So eight weeks later, I um, was walking between Fifth and Sixth Avenue. For those of you who are listening and don't know, it's the longest block in New York City. And what would take me 45 minutes took 15. And I just got to the end of that corner and I started crying. Needless to say, five months after I left my job at AMX and I started off my career in health and wellness. And you you named all the brands I worked with. But in 2019, I was in Canada 
and I was working for a company called Medkin where I was running the eight move thing portfolio. So I do believe everything sort of relates to you. So it's what you do, how you move, how you think. Mm-hmm. And then digital health started to sort of rise up a little bit, I think it was 20, 2018. And so I was like, you know what, what am I doing in Canada? It's too cold. And I came home and I started looking for how I can get into digital health. And let's just say, here's where here I'm here today. And for those of you listening who want to hear about the end of the story, not only did I run a 10K, but because I, I think this is the best part, I ended up running um, 13 half marathons and two full marathons. I've thus retired, though. Wow. However, um, you know, I've been truly blessed. I think I'm a miracle every day. And so um, that's how I got into health and wellness. It's a long story. I think it's a fun story, though. I think it's worth telling. But for eight hours, you start making a lot of deals with the universe. So our audience understands you're saying you're awake for eight hours while your brain is being operated on, right? Like mm-hmm. this is like out of the movies where they take your head off yeah. like a cereal bowl. No, <laughs> not like a cereal bowl. I would say if you watch Grey's Anatomy, even three weeks ago, that should have fairly. I don't watch Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> it, it, was, it was weird. Honestly, Albert, it was weird to see because I, I was bolted to a table, right? And they show you drilling two holes in this person's head. And I was like, Oh my God, that's me, right? So wow. yeah, you're in there. They're like dropping wires there. Uh, the way the science works is they they go in, they put in leads. I have leads in my brain, but they drop the wires. And then when they hear like a rainstorm, you'll hear the doctor be like, yes. So they want to hear the bad part of your brain. And then so when they hear it, they put the wire there. They they close you off. I've got two plastic couch here, like a little wine bottle. Um and, uh, and yeah, and, you know, I, I started running right after the surgery and when I started walking in, so I tended to wear the batteries out really quickly. It was supposed to be three years. I was running them out every year because I was just running so much. I was doing a little forest gump. And then in 2020, I got upgraded. So I'm a rechargeable now. So I'm like a Tesla. I charge every <laughs> night. Um, but needless to say that. I tell that story too, because I think that's what's made me a better CEO. And what I mean by that is I'm focused. So I start my day. The mornings are great. I tend to be funnier before 3 p.m. And I sleep eight to nine hours a night. I watch what I eat. I don't drink alcohol. I try and, you know, move every day, whether it's boxing, cycling, going for a walk. But I really, I, what I really hope to prove to people is that, you know, when you hear a CEO saying they're working and selling slacks at 3 a.m., I don't send emails after 8 p.m. I think it's Rude. I think, you know, you should be able to get your done yeah. in, in, in the workday. Um, I believe in Saturdays is a day of rest. It's for me. I don't email on Saturdays. Now, Sundays is a different story. You got to get ready for the week. <laughs> it's my one workday that I'm not on Zoom, right? But um, I would say being disabled, Albert, has truly, I think, been a blessing for me. Because I think if I wasn't disabled, I would probably not be able to draw the boundaries that I've drawn for myself today. No, it's amazing. It's, I mean, it's, it's an inspirational story. Whenever I hear stories like yours, I always think to myself, like, what am I complaining about? Like, I should never complain. I should never complain. I should always be moving forward. Like, there's nothing to complain about. Oh, Carrie, it's been awesome having you on your show. I think your story is quite inspirational. I think what you're doing is probably, you know, I don't know your market, obviously, like you do, but I know it's needed. I know, tele- <laughs> I know telemedicine is needed. I know that the whole idea of us physically going to the doctor to wait in a waiting room, to then wait to go into the examination room, to meet with an RN for, you know, I'm not trying to knock RNs, but a lot of times you don't even meet with a doctor. And I think a lot of us know that, right? And then maybe the doctor comes in for like three seconds. 
Uh, I, I joked about it on another episode, but you know, when I, I already mentioned urology, but I remember when I got a vasectomy, like the, I saw the doctor for like all of like a second. He comes in, is like the operating room is like, you know, oh, you're ready to go. Like, and it was like the pre-exam and then, then you have the actual operation. I was like, this is like, it's like kind of embarrassing. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I know exactly how women feel. Like yeah. they're probably feeling the same way. It's like you're strapped up in the table and the doctor comes in for like two seconds. Oh, we got a problem. Yeah. We're fine. Like, and you, and you pay yeah. full price. We'll pay full price. Yeah, you gotta pay full price. Like you, you know, when you get that bill, you're like, wait, I think I met you for ten seconds. <laughs> Oliver, you're a vibe, okay? I have to say that. You have been a great host because you are I was like it is a problem, right? And so there's no question that this is gonna be something that as you mentioned, like the younger generation, as you get used to asynchronous, med- like they're not coming back. I don't think the next generation, they're not going to choose the old way. The old way is not the best. <laughs> the old way is gone. That paradigm is, is shifting. It's gone. I would say, you know, for anyone late 20s, early 30s, they're not, they're going to try and do as much as they can do from a telehealth perspective before they start, you know, I think hospitals and urgent care will start being numbered the second stop. Whereas, and now the first stop will be telehealth. Yeah, absolutely there. Carrie, it was awesome having you on the show, but I want to say before you go, we have one more segment we got to do, and that is the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Carrie, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. All right, Albert, bring it. All right, you ready? Yeah. You mentioned you liked, you know, it sounds like good, clean, healthy food. What's some of your favorite foods to eat? Uh, I like saute vegetables. I got really sick of salad. I stopped eating meat since COVID. So I'm, I do a lot of fish, scallop, shrimp, but really keeping it healthy. No alcohol, very low sugar. That's very basic. All right. So you're Chinese, black, and you were born in the Caribbean. Which ethnic mm-hmm. food is your favorite? Oh, that's a good one. Um, so I, my dad cooks amazing Chinese food. So I love Chinese <laughs> food. Um, but then, you know, they cook... Again, there's black and Chinese, but Trinidad has a big force of, of Indian. So my yeah. dad and my mom also cook a good curry. And so that's the thing with Trinidad. Like you have a lot of like fusions, right? So Chinese, Indian, and I would say Creole are my top three foods. And they, they have to be spicy. Oh, yeah. There you go. The uh, My neighbor, his parents are unfortunately split, but his father lives in Trinidad and Tobago. And he goes there all the time, the kid. For carnival? I don't know if he goes for carnival. He's young. Oh. But I've seen the pictures. Oh, okay. And I'm like. Dude, you kidding me? You go to school here in the summer, like your summer break. Like, don't talk to my kids. Don't talk to my kids about your summer break. How often do you get to go back to Trinidad? I go back um, once a year. Usually I, I go for carnival. I think it's the three days of the I mean, honest, right? Like it's the three days of the year that, you know, you have this island of people that just descend of all colors. Like when I say all colors, Albert, I mean all yeah. colors. And we all put on these crazy costumes and... You come as one. So for two days to see everyone just forget everything that they're doing just to celebrate in in the streets of Trinidad and Tobago, I think it's awesome. So for me, that's the time I go back and my parents will come so they can see their friends. And so it's it's fun. It's like a nice little family reunion every year. All right. So I got to ask because I've only seen I've been to Carnival. I was in I was in Barbados when they had, I think, their version of it. Ooh. Yeah, Kadumon, Krapova. I've been to New Orleans, of course, when they've had their version of it. Okay. I've only seen video of when Brazil does it. So I got it, you got it, using those countries. Who does it bigger? How, where does Trinidad do it in relative comparison? 
<laughs> number one. Number one. You can ask anyone. Rio is number two. But I think Rio has a different, like, they, like, practice and do stuff like that. Like, we don't. We just go and have a good time. But you can ask anyone. They train that by far. All right. Then I, what's the biggest, by vertical height, inches, metric? What do you tell me? Whatever. How big is the biggest headdress you've worn? Oh, my Albert. You know, I wish I could say I, 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 I one year, played um, in a very big costume. So it was just... um. I would say probably about at three or four feet on me and feathers all around. So yeah, I've I've done I've done it once. It was a it was a bucket list item and I'd taken that off. But it's actually, while it looks beautiful, it's not fun because you have to carry it on your back. It's very it's uncomfortable. uncomfortable. <laughs> You're sweating, it's heavy, you pay a lot of money for it, and by 10 a.m. in the morning you realize you want it off of you. So that's what I'll say. <laughs> Well, Gary, I appreciate you sharing a little bit about your life outside of work. Thanks for, of course, sharing, you know, your role as CEO, taking over for Simple Health. We look forward to, you know, it's one of the things I always talk about on the show is, hey, I want every telemedicine company to succeed because I think it's important. So I want to say thank you. And thanks for being a guest on IT Visionaries. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Albert. Albert.